Hey there, listeners. Welcome to This Humana Life, a podcast for all Humana associates. We have amazing stories to tell and learning experiences to offer. We also believe the best knowledge is knowledge that is shared. Throughout our podcast journey, you'll hear advice from thought leaders, gain insights into areas of expertise other than your own, and hear the inspiring stories of others. This production is made possible with the support of the Women's Network Resource Group and by the dedication of our core team. I'm Tara DeLucia. I'm Carmen Pantoja Evans. I'm Brittany LaMere. And this podcast is produced by Melissa Nichols. We're looking forward to hearing what topics are important to you. Join the conversation in our buzz group by visiting go forward slash THL. Also, make sure to text the acronym THL to 239-355 to have new episodes sent straight to your mobile Thursday morning. Hey there, THL crew. Please bear with us. We had a few technical difficulties at the beginning of our conversation. Hey there, listeners. Thank you for joining This Humana Life this week. My name is Brittany Lemaire, and on the line we have Carmen Pantoja Evans and Tara DeLucia, as well as our very first guest that is not a Humana associate. Listeners, please let me welcome Jen Reynolds, founder and president of Pink Warrior Advocates, located in New Braunfels, Texas. Well, sure. So we all know that October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And with that, um, would you mind if we asked you to kind of introduce yourself, a snapshot of your journey, and a little bit about what led you to be a founder of a nonprofit? Yeah, so I, uh, a little bit about my journey. I mean, it starts a while back. I was originally diagnosed when I was 33, so uh, back in 2013, and the first sign that I had of uh, breast cancer was a bloody nipple discharge, and I was going through uh, fertility treatments at the time, so I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was from the hormones. I went to a local uh, OBGYN who took a look at it and ended up telling me that I was too young to have breast cancer. I specifically asked her, isn't this a sign of breast cancer? And she said, you're too young. Took a slide of it. Uh, she sent it in because she thought of infection. Uh, put me on a pretty high dose of vitamin D because my vitamin D levels were low, which is another indication of uh, something going on in the body. Uh, indic- and uh, sent me on my way, and you know, as my doctor, I, I believed her, and I trusted her, and so went through the summer, uh, then October hit, and I was laying in bed one night, and I was just kind of touching the side of my the size of a pea, and I called that same OBGYN, they told me it was probably hormonal, and this time around, I was like, no, I need to add it. so I reached out to my old, which is in San Antonio, and it was a 45-minute drive for me, and she immediately got me in for yeah. then led to a biopsy, a breast cancer diagnosis. So at the time, I was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer, and I, I went through all of my treatments and surgeries that, you know, six, six to eight months of chemotherapy and a double 
me uh, and felt very alone. Uh, didn't reach out to that had been through what I'd been through at such a young age. I tried finding a support group in San Antonio, went down to, you know, show up at the support group that showed up online and nobody was there. And somebody came out and asked me, is there something we can do for you? And I said, yeah, I'm here for the support group. And nobody showed up. So she said, yeah, we don't meet anymore. And that was really disappointing and really hard because it took a lot for me to get to that point of accepting that I needed help. And so that prompted me to eventually start this nonprofit, Pink Warrior Advocates. And just knowing that I was providing a platform for these women who, you know, don't know who to reach out to and uh, don't have the connections. And we don't we don't uh, discriminate on age. We're all ages. So, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where PWA started. And then it just kind of grew from there. And I didn't you know, I, I knew that there was a need for for it, but I didn't realize how far that need would stretch. Yeah. Well, Jen, this is Carmen, and I appreciate you sharing um, a quick snapshot of your journey. And it's incredible. I have to say every journey is different. Um, the folks that I have spoken with about uh, breast cancer, and uh, so I appreciate you just jumping right in there and, and giving us that snapshot. And I guess when you said you didn't have anybody to talk to about it, so was this, was there any family history of breast cancer? There wasn't. So my grandma had pancreatic cancer at the age of 73, I believe. But her, she was uh, diagnosed at such a late stage that, you know, she was diagnosed terminal. This was back in the early 90s. And they didn't test to see whether it had come from her breast or her ovaries. Uh, but because I had that history of having her with pancreatic cancer, uh, they tested me for the BRCA gene, and I did test positive for BRCA2. Uh, so, you know, that, that, oddly enough, having no breast cancer, so to speak, but having that just that one person who had cancer, even though it was pancreatic, you know, it, it prompted that, that BRCA testing. And what is BCRA? And maybe you've already said it and then did the acronym, but I'm not familiar with that. So BRCA is BRCA. a, yeah, it's a genetic mutation. And uh, men and women can carry that, that bracket mutation. It's uh, basically a defect in the DNA for lack of a better, you know, mm. explanation. I'm not a doctor, so I can't explain it in, in you know, those kind of terms. But uh, if you carry the BRCA1 or BRCA2, you have an 85% chance in your lifetime of uh, getting a breast cancer diagnosis, and I believe it's somewhere in the 40 percentile range of ovarian cancer. Yeah, and so I should have uh, also said this in the beginning of our episode, but um, what kind of led to us um, having Jen on today is whenever the very first day I moved to New Braunfels, Texas, which is my my new uh, hometown area, uh, we went to a fundraiser hosted by Pink Warrior Advocates, and that was the opportunity for me to meet Jen and get kind of get introduced to her organization. And right off the bat, you could tell it was just something really special, really homegrown, and really a lot of heart and passion goes behind it. So, Jen, could you kind of share about the overall mission and the goals of your organization? 
Yeah, so our mission is really to empower and inspire women to connect with one another, create a sisterhood for these women who are going through a breast cancer diagnosis. We really uh, strive to make these women feel like they have somebody uh, that can support them through their journey and that they don't feel like they're alone. Uh, I took my experience going through my, my own diagnosis and kind of morphed that into what it is to uh, today. Uh, and so, you know, there's so many women who don't know about us, but hear about us halfway or, you know, towards the end of their journey or maybe, maybe even years after and had wished that they had something like this when they were going through or when they were diagnosed. And there's said for, talking to somebody who has walked a very similar path to you when you are diagnosed and you're facing the loss of your hair, the loss of your breasts, the loss of your, you know, identity and who you become after a breast cancer diagnosis is uh, somebody completely different. And so to have these women who understand that path and who can say, look, you're going to be okay. I've been there. I understand what you're going through. Look, look, my hair grows back. Look, my my breasts have been reconstructed. Or look, I only have one breast and the other one hasn't been reconstructed. And I feel great and I feel okay and we're healthy. And there's just something to be said for that. And overall, that really is the mission. And as far as what we provide, um, you know, part of that mission is, is alleviating the burden that these women feel while they're going through or even after. And part of that burden is financial. Uh, that financial burden that they carry can filter over to an emotional burden. If you can't put food on the table for your kids or you can't create a house or you know pay your medical bills or pay your rent, uh, that burden that sits on you can really hold you back from healing and that stress that you that you take on and so those medical bills and that financial support for them also contributes to their healing and so it's all really I mean I hate to say it this way but it, it really is a one-stop shop to their full healing what's you know what's so amazing about this is these types of experiences that we go through in life you know, you really can't get the support you need until you've met someone who's gone through the same thing. And your your bestest, closest friend, you know, your closest sister, they can't understand something along these lines unless they've experienced it. So what you've done here is created a, an incredible community to offer support to one another. I, I absolutely love it. Um, are these, you know, is this group how how big is the reach or how far does it go? Is it really for anyone who has experienced the breast cancer or is it um, just for the area? So our financial support stays local uh, in the surrounding areas of New Braunfels all the way up, you know, just north of Austin, south of San Antonio, out in the Hill Country area. However, our our emotional support, our, we, we also 
provide mastectomy kits, chemo care kits, and mastectomy bras. And those programs are all national. So we do send those things out nationally on a donation basis. It's not something that we charge for. Uh, you know, obviously we accept donations, but, uh, you know, it's not something that we charge the warrior for or the patient for. Those are things that we send out. Uh, but the financial assistance does stay local. The emotional support group that we have, we have one online, which is open to anyone. And then we also have a group that meets locally. And, you know, obviously that's more local in terms of people getting there. Well, so I'm kind of curious. Did you say your diagnosis was in 2014? So my original diagnosis was in 2013. Uh, I was diagnosed at that time with stage two. Uh, I didn't have any spread to my lymph nodes or anything like that. It was a two point, I believe, three centimeter, two point three centimeter tumor that was in my left breast. Uh, went through all my treatment, surgeries, all that fun stuff, and then just short of my five year anniversary in two thousand eighteen, uh, almost exactly two years ago, I was re-diagnosed with stage metastatic breast cancer with METs to my liver and my spine and lymph nodes and uh, some of my soft tissue. Uh, so yeah, I, I will unfortunately be dealing with breast cancer for the rest of my life. So where are you with it now? Um, so are you, and I don't understand enough about it. So are you, when you said it has, it is in liver and in all those different spots, so are you ongoing treatment right now? Yes, I will be in treatment for the rest of my life. Uh, so metastatic breast cancer is incurable. Uh, remission is not really possible. Uh, you can be no evidence of disease where the tumors are, you know, kind of quiet. But, uh, you know, they're always gotcha. going to be there. And, so, um, you know, gotcha. As far as treatment goes, I've been, I've, I am now on my, since I was re-diagnosed two years ago, I am on my fourth line of treatment. So it seems like, you know, everything I do, it stops working anywhere from six months to a year. Well, I just saw you on the screen uh, just a little bit ago, and you certainly look healthy and beautiful and um so do you feel good other than do you feel good? Do you live or do you feel ill every day? I mean, how, what does this feel like? So I think I have a little bit than most people who are battling a stage four diagnosis. In fact, my uh, oncologist had said to me the other day, you're one of the most active stage four patients I have. Mm. And uh, I really, do I feel good? Yes. Uh, I I don't like to let myself tell myself that I don't feel good, um, even when my back hurts or because I did have a collapse on my L4, L5, uh, and I was paralyzed actually two years ago, couldn't walk, couldn't do anything for myself. Um, walking now, I, I work out, I am very active, thankfully. Uh, so I just kind of go back to a place where, you know, I, I really truly truly do know that it could be worse and I know what the pit feels like and so I always try to go back even when I'm having a bad day I think about when I was bedridden and I couldn't do anything for myself and and just really be I have a lot of patience for myself I give myself a lot of grace and uh, I 
truly, truly do live every single day the best I possibly can. And I try to have a positive attitude and, and believe that one day I will be healed. Hmm. So my question, and, and that, that was part of my question, is how do you manage the day-to-day? Did you have, like, a decision point in this experience where you were like, okay, I've got two choices here, and I'm going to choose to live life to the fullest? I mean, I, you know, I think about this for my own self, and I often wonder, you know, would I, would I try to live life to the fullest, or, you know, how would I take each step forward? You know, you have a beautiful family. Like, what was that point when you were like, you know what, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm going to live my life to the fullest no matter what, you know, what's going on physically. Since I was diagnosed the first time, I feel like I've been on this path of just growing as a person and trying to be a better person and learning more about myself. And, you know, I've lost a lot of friends along the way through PWA who I've, I've built a strong connection with. And so, uh, experiencing that and knowing and watching what they've gone through with their family's gone through it's a person and know that you know every moment is so precious and so that turning point for me really came I guess uh it it's been a lot more in the last year but if I had to pinpoint a moment I would say that last year last summer uh right before I actually, it was right after I found out one of my treatments wasn't working. Uh, it was it was a really scary moment for me, but me and my mom had a trip planned to Hawaii, and it was a it was kind of a bucket list trip for us. And so we went and drove up uh, this volcano and watched the sunset up there. And my mom went back to the car, got really really cold and my mom went back to the car and all these people show up so there's I mean there's nowhere to park there's nowhere to sit unless you get there early and my mom had walked back to the car and I got I stood up I had my blanket and I looked out and the sun was almost down and I just lost it and I begged God I felt like I was so close to God in that moment and I begged him to please let my body heal please Mm -hmm. just give me the strength to stay positive, to enjoy every moment. Um, that moment was such a blessing for me. And I mean, I'm above the clouds. Like it was just such an incredible moment. And that was a turning point for me where I just realized how amazing this life is and how much we and myself had taken for granted in every year I've lived before that moment. And I just really chose that that was going to be the moment that I was going to go on this like true self self growth and who am I? Who do I be? What do I, what legacy do I want to leave if tomorrow is my last day? Um, what, how do I want to leave my relationships with people? Uh, you know, my advice to everyone, not just people who have been diagnosed with cancer, but everyone is, you know, you don't know. We, nobody knows. And we are all given Literally, this moment right now is the only moment that is guaranteed. It doesn't, don't wait for a cancer diagnosis or don't wait for, you know, any sort of terminal diagnosis or something that rocks your world like that uh, to take away from that. Like, truly live in the moment. And that, to me, cancer 
in that sense has been a gift because I've lived more of my life in the last, you know, two years than most people will live in a lifetime. That's powerful. Give me goosebumps. And it's, I think there's so much going on in our world today and so many reasons for um, for folks to really forget that messaging because you just kind of do the moment and you lose sight of that. So that was so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. I mean, as much as I, it's it's hard, hard to see all the scary things going on in the world right now. And, you know, you just have to be, you know, finding the joy that's most likely sitting right in front of you is, is really so important and can help and change your attitude with the click of your finger. I was just thinking how, you know, you, you grew, you made this foundation. You really want to um, make sure that people in your community and otherwise will have um, resources and um, people and finances and you name it, just support at their fingertips. And, uh, and wow, I mean, that's incredible in itself. And it, I mean, how did you start this foundation? How do you just just say, oh, I'm going to start a foundation? And how many people have you served? Do you have, um, do you, I, I suppose you have a website, I suppose, and maybe we're getting there, maybe I'm jumping ahead of the game, but uh, but how many people have you served? What made you come up with, with um, how did you even start this nonprofit? Yeah, so I was documenting my hair growth every week on Instagram, and I had some women reach out to me. Uh, thank you for sharing that, uh, you know, your hair growth with me, and, and it really inspires me. And I also started a blog. Uh, it's mybaldblog.com, mm -hmm. and I started sharing uh, my very real and honest raw experience with breast cancer. And I wasn't just speaking to the survivors of the warriors. I was also speaking to the families, to the co-survivors, uh, and, and how they can care for uh, their loved one through, through diagnosis. And so I connected with someone who was also a survivor on Instagram after she saw my hair growth. And she had mentioned she wanted a nonprofit. And so we, uh, we just started it. I mean, it was, we had no idea what we were doing. Mm. I, you know, wasn't a business owner. I didn't know what was going on, but I just knew that there needed to, uh, mm. this void needed to be filled and I was willing to do whatever it took to. And, and at the time when we started it, it was really just meant to be a support group and, you know, making these mastectomy kits and sharing my journey through my blog. And you could very honestly see how much it was needed because of how quickly it grew. And, you know, to where we are today, uh, we give back, well, prior to COVID, we were giving back anywhere from ten to $15,000 a month in financial assistance uh, to the local community. And uh, now we've lowered that to 5000 because we've lost two of our largest fundraising events. Uh, so we're, we're, you know, we're, we wanted to make sure that we were able to continue to help women while we get through this tough time. And, uh, you know, as far as our kits go and, and sending those out, uh, we still, we still do all that. And it's just been a journey and a learning process and it's still a learning process. And 
I think, you know, being the founder and understanding what these women are going through uh, really makes a big difference in how the organization is run. And I have the best board, so passionate, uh, the best volunteers. I mean, everybody who's involved in our organization really is the heartbeat of it and, and helps us forge through and comes up with great ideas and, you know, even unique ideas to help us continue to fundraise. That's incredible. It's incredible to know that these kits are available and the folks are out there um, willing to give and support and volunteer. And um, and you've made such a difference for so many. And to that a little bit, um, sharing about speaking with those um, that were in the families of those, can you share a couple of ways that we can help support or be advocates to those that we may know that have a cancer diagnosis, some just really tangible ways that we can kind of give back to them and let them know that we're here and supported and supporting them. Yeah, so I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, from a co-survivor standpoint. And when I say co-survivor, I mean friend, I mean family member. Uh, it can be anyone who is they're supporting somebody through their diagnosis. And I think a lot of it really has to be gauged on how strong your relationship is with the person, with the patient. And, you know, as a survivor, as a, I understand it can be overwhelming to have continued text messages and emails and that stuff. Stuff, but at the same time, it means a lot to us. Uh, sometimes we may feel guilty if we don't respond. So just understand that if you don't get that response, it's not because we didn't just, you know, or we might wake up at 2 in the morning, read your text message, and completely forget because we're, we have chemo brain or whatever. And, uh, you know, don't take it personal. Just know that we are reading it and we hear you. And we we love that you're reaching out and that you're thinking about us. Uh, sending cards uh, unprompted, you know, uh, just letting somebody know that you're there. Like to receive a card to me was so special and letting them know that you're there. For example, I think a lot of when they think of supporting, what can I do to help you? And that's a great question. But my answer is always, I'm okay right now. But if something somebody were to say, I'd love to bring you dinner on Friday. My favorite meal is spaghetti with this awesome meat sauce that I love. Uh, I'm going to drop it off if you don't have somebody already bringing you dinner. Are you okay with that? Yes, I would love that. That would be mm. amazing. Or no, you know what? Uh, spaghetti, I can't really stomach that. Okay, what can you stomach? You know, something like mm. that. Just really being, being specific in what it is that you want to offer them instead of asking them, what can I do for mm. you? I think that's a great tip, and that is so, yeah, you know, be, be specific, and that's just what I just wrote down on a piece of paper, just be specific. Well, um, the hard and part, that, yeah, go ahead, sorry, Carmen. No, then that, um, and knowing that I'm sure the, your friend, your person will say, I can't stomach that right now, or I can't already have one of those blankets, but thanks all the same, um, but just to be specific, I that's a great takeaway, that's, the, I would, that's all I was going to say to that. Well, and my reminder is you, you kind of get this, like, bystander syndrome sometimes like when somebody's going through something and maybe they're not, like, your closest, bestest friend, right? 
So you just think that person probably has someone who's offering the blanket and offering the meal. And so sometimes you'll take a step back, assuming that there's this amazing community of, of support, and that is not the case. And I think mm. the more I talk to survivors, the more I realize how lonely it could be. That's why your your nonprofit touches me so much because, you know, it, it what people assume is happening is not. Another thing, too, is not, you know, I just want to put this out there because I know as a survivor, Another tip that Jen shared with us is to not bombard the person with different types of tips and tricks like this chia seed cured this and there was research done on that. They're already um, getting lots of information from other places and this may lead to the person feeling a little bit overwhelmed. I find myself a lot just saying, you know, thank you so much for saying that to me. Uh, I'm very overwhelmed right now, but, you know only read it when I'm feeling a little better and and that kind of you know that's my response to it but sometimes it's like there's so much information coming at me and everybody's doing their own research and then I can tend to feel guilty for going the conventional route and doing and all that it, it, it puts this sense of like god am I doing the right thing and a lot more questions to have in my head at that moment and I know it's good intent but you know just being conscious of that and I know this is considered a women's disease quite often. Do you have any um, any any information to share for men with breast cancer? We don't have any men involved in our organization who have had breast cancer. Mm. However, we are we would love to. Uh, I'd love to spread that awareness. Uh, we I do know of a few. Uh, went to one of my plastic surgeons in San Antonio, and I know there are you're local, but it is not just a disease. Women can have breast cancer too. And, you know, it's important for them if they have a history of it, whether it be um, any type of cancer, to, you know, be aware of the fact that they are open to this as well. And going a little bit off of that, through my diagnosis and through uh, finding out that I do carry the BRCA2, my brother actually went and got tested for the BRCA2 gene and found out that he was positive. So now he, not just a women's genetic mutation either, men can carry BRCA1 and BRCA2, and they are also at an increased risk for carrying BRCA mutation. So, you know, he's now where he's empowered and he can uh, go to doctor's appointments and, and be aware of what's going on with his body and do his own male breast cancer and catch it early if something were to happen. So, yeah, it's definitely not just women's you need to be aware. They are prone to having breast cancer as well. So with that, do you have any thoughts on preventive care or words that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, just like our name says, Pink Warrior Advocates, I think, you know, as much as we advocate for women, I think it's important for most, most, most important men and women advocate for themselves and advocating for yourself means you start with self breast exams, uh, do it once a month. Uh, there's this, you know, thing out there, feel it on the first. And if you go on Instagram and you, you hit that hashtag, you'll see, uh, all these women that are, you know, just have their hand on their breasts and promoting that feel it on the first and looking for those, uh, lumps and how do you do that? Uh, and not only that, but if you question something or something doesn't feel right, whether it's a pain in your, your armpit or you feel a lymph node, 
don't be afraid to get it looked at. Don't listen to your doctor telling you it's nothing. If you feel that it's something or you feel like you're not getting the answers that you need, advocate for yourself. You are your best advocate. You are the one person who knows your body better than anybody else on this planet. And so it's important to make sure that you are aware and even paying attention to those, what your breasts feel like a normal day and what your breasts feel like right before your cycle and what your breasts feel like after your cycle. Getting to know your body is so important and that it really being sure that you know your body and that you're getting your mammogram. If you're over the age of 40, uh, getting your mammogram, get, uh, getting self-aware of what your body feels like uh, and, and being aware of any changes that you may come across. You mentioned that your brother took the BRCA2 um, test to see if he um, has the gene. So is this, would you recommend that for folks? And I know you're not a physician, but it just made me curious when I heard you say that, that, you know, he felt strongly and convicted to go ahead and get that test, um, you know, get the test. Um, What are your thoughts around that? I would love to see genetic testing be a part of everyone's physical, you know, annual physical or something that they go through at a certain period of time in their life, whether, you know, I would love to see it at 20, be a part of their just, you know, when, when a woman turns, you know, is sexually active, she starts going and getting those, you know, her annual exams. Uh, a genetic test isn't something that would need to be need to be done every year. It's something that just needs to be done once in a lifetime so that mm-hmm. they know what it is that's affecting them. And I would love to see insurance companies covering that at the age of 20 or, you know, for men and women. Uh, but unfortunately, it's typically not covered unless you have a history of breast cancer. I know for my, or not a breast cancer, but of any type of cancer, you know, for my brother, I had in order for him to get coverage I had to provide him with all my bracket paperwork my diagnostic history uh so and there are options out there where where people can pay cash to uh you know I know of several companies out there that they can pay cash for that and speak to a genetic counselor and have it all you know explained to them and whether or not it's recommended for them to to put the money up for it or or what whatever the case may be but yeah, I mean, my hope and dream would be for this to be a part of, you know, just regular care, just like uh, an annual exam is or just like a prostate exam would be for a man or anything like that. Very good. I um, you know, I don't know enough about it to even know, and but just to hear what you said, that and it totally makes sense that it's just a, a DNA trace of it's your DNA. It's your DNA. You would you you would only need it once, and I'm sure there's a lot involved in, in just that statement as far as um, the medis- medical side of it is. But um, but interesting, very interesting. It's it's a blood test. Okay. It's it's as regular as you going and getting your CBC done or any type of blood work. They could take some of that blood. And- and send it in for DNA, and you can have a snapshot of your health and what your risks are <clears throat> right then and there. You know, within two to two to four weeks, you can have a snapshot of your health and know what you need to watch out for and what you can do proactively. You know, women 
I know women who have proactively had a mastectomy or who have pro- proactively had an oophorectomy and had their ovaries removed because they carry this BRCA gene and they don't want to have that 85 or, you know, 40% risk of getting cancer in their lifetime. So it really is an empowering test to have. And it's so important in my opinion. And had I known that I carried this gene prior to having breast cancer, there are so many things that I could have done proactively. Uh, Would I have, I can't say because I don't know enough, you know, I don't Mm -hmm. know what that would have looked like for me. You don't know what you don't know. (laughs) Right. Exactly. But you can, you are empowered with what you do know, and you can make decisions based on having that information in front of you. Well, and as we kind of wind down um, our time together, was there any additional information that you'd like to share with us? I think that being a part of this organization, Pink Warrior Advocates, you know, it's not always just about the fundraising and, and all that. It's reaching the women who need us. And I want women to know that, you know, if you're going through this and you're listening to this, you're not alone. We're here to support you however we can, whether it's emotional, financial, spiritual, whatever case it may be, we're here to support you. Please don't feel like you have to go through this battle by yourself. I know how hard it is to reach out for help. And I know how humbling of an experience it can be. Um, but you're not alone. And, and I know what it feels like to look in the mirror and be completely stripped of every single thing that makes you feel like a woman, your eyebrows, your eyelashes, your hair, your breasts, your body, all of that. I mean, those things are what make us feel beautiful. But there's something to be said for looking at yourself that way in the mirror and realizing that you can have all of those things taken away from you, but inside you're still you. You're still beautiful. You can still live a full life. You can still, uh, you know, start over. You can grow from this. You will grow from this. I know it doesn't seem like it when you're in the moment. I know it seems like the end of the world. I know it seems like you've been diagnosed with a death sentence, but you haven't. Take this as your moment to just start living. And and you can only go up from here. And, and it will be okay. And I know when you hear that from your family member, you don't believe it because they don't understand. But I understand. And I know. And when you hear you're going to be okay from somebody who gets it, that's what Pink Warrior Advocates is. We're here to tell you you're going to be okay, and we get it because we've been there. Um, if we have a listeners that are interested in connecting a little bit deeper with uh, Pink Warrior Advocates, they can um, look you up and get involved. Yeah, so best place to go would be our website at www.pinkwarrioradvocates.org. Uh, they can also find us on Facebook, Pink Warrior Advocates. Uh, if they're interested in volunteering, which doesn't just require them to be in a local area because we do, you know, need help with people writing cards, with people sewing things, stuff like that. So it doesn't just have to be local. We do have a volunteer page on Facebook as well, and that's uh, PWA Volunteers. And then, of course, if you are somebody who is going through this or is recently diagnosed or years past and you want to share your journey, uh, we are always looking to share the stories of those who have been through this and we also have our online support group which is a private group so uh, you can find us but nobody will ever be able to see what you post it's a great sisterhood of women who have been through this who can support one another 
and you know you can post any question. Nothing is uh, taboo in our group. So uh, we also have our support group that meets up. So yeah, there's all different ways to get involved or email us at hope at pinkwarrioradvocates.org. So multiple ways to get in touch. Was there um, anything else we wanted to share or any questions I, I maybe forgot to ask during our time together? Or a story you don't get to tell enough? <laughs> um, hmm, a story I don't get to tell enough. That's a great question. Jump out of a plane. I was so scared. And this is something <laughs> I did recently. It's not a story that I don't get to tell enough necessarily. It's more of do it. Whatever it is, do it. Go do it. Like, don't wait. You don't, don't wait. wait. Um, I waited way too long. I, I had this dream of this, you know, I have all these bucket list things that I want to do and I'm really, I'm going after them and I'm doing them all, but I really wanted to jump out of a plane over the keys. And wow. uh, I did it last summer and it was the most amaz amazing experience. And, uh, uh, and I'll never forget and just eat the cake, do it. <sighs> That's my, that's my story. Eat the cake. I love this. I don't feel like people like truly understand what it is to just eat the cake and enjoy it and enjoy life and, and go after whatever your dreams are, whatever they are, go after them. Don't wait. Don't wait. Two words that are just as powerful as all the other words you have already shared with us and Powerful, I know, is an overused word, but it is, it is, it is what this conversation is and what you're about and what you're, and the word power is also empowering women to, to um, do that breast check, you know, and don't, don't wait to do anything at all. And that's it for this episode. You can share with us on buzz at go forward slash THL. And don't forget to subscribe by texting THL to 239 we want to thank you for spending time with us this week. We can use our guiding behaviors and speak up with candor to share our Humana stories through this podcast. Let's keep the conversation going together about this Humana life. Until next time, be intentional, stay curious, and inspire others.